PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. Iltafat Hussein is back in the flesh. He is alive. He's going strong. The beard is there. I had a dream that you shaved that beard. I don't know why, but never, never, <laughs> never. Blake. The beard must live. <laughs> never. It's taking on a life of its own on Twitter too. So you know, it has. Oh on. yes, you have a fan following now. We can't repeat some of the things said about your beard. Um, no, it's not if you want to look, just uh, go drop an Apple review and you'll see, and a YouTube review, and you will see uh, no, some let's, comments. Let's keep moving on. This is keep good. Moving. Controversy. There's no such thing as bad news, right? As as famous people say. Uh, Welcome back to another Ian Borbombs podcast episode, the show that gives you what you need to know for boards and hashtag EM Live for each less than 20 minute episode, sub 20 minute episode, as the kids like to say. Mm. We give you board relevant knowledge, life relevant knowledge in a fun, entertaining way. As the saying goes, come for the stems, stay for the content. Dr. Hussain, it's such a pleasure to have you back. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. You know, it's yeah. been kind of a crazy summer, but again, mm -hmm. good to be back at yes. getting back in the flow of things. So um, it's been exciting. I know you and Marlena have been rocking out. Marlena has been doing such a great job, mm -hmm. you know, on oh, the yeah. pod, you know, with the YouTubes as well. She was, YouTubes. A, she was born for it. She was born for it. <laughs> Why don't we dive into it? Let's go. Let's go. An 18-year-old male presents to you after a fall. He states he was walking inside his house. He tripped, and then he banged his head against the wall. There was no syncope. He doesn't have a headache, didn't have any nausea or vomiting. There's no hematoma on his head. He states his mom told him to come to the ER, but he doesn't really know why, and he doesn't really think it's that big of a deal. He also tells you that every time he gets hurt, he feels like his mom tells him to come to the ER. Again, <laughs> he doesn't really know why. Seems like he's being a little bit evasive and maybe not forthright. You decide to call his mom because you're confused as to why he's in the ER and he looks great. You connect with his mom. His mom basically says that her 18-year-old has hemophilia but doesn't like to talk about it. Yeah. I have actually had a case. This part, I'm joking. <laughs> and it was like right when the kid had like, I, you know, around 18-ish, you know, yeah, and so yeah, yeah. was independently doing stuff. So you take the discharge papers that you had initially printed out for the patient and uh, go and you trash them and you start over. <laughs> and by trash, you mean you put them in the confidential shredder? Correct. Yes. yes, yes of to be recycled. Yeah. Don't worry. Hashtag so, HIPAA. There you go. What is the most common cause of death in patients with hemophilia? Is it A, hemorrhagic shock? Is it B, systemic infection? Is it C, intracranial bleeding? Or is it D, airway obstruction leading to hypoxia? Again, just in general, the most common cause of death in patients with hemophilia. What's the correct answer, Dr. Briggs? Correct answer is... Before you go, okay. you got to drop something on EM Rapid Bombs, right? Boards are coming up. Mm -hmm. Board life. So mm -hmm. supercast.com. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Getting close to 400 questions, I think. 400 episodes We're very on close. the podcast. We're almost mm -hmm. there. So check it out. Uh, we've got subscribers from everywhere. We've got anywhere from residents to seasoned attendings that use the pod. It's been pretty cool and we've been doing it for a few years now. So it's been pretty awesome to see how many folks have stuck through even after boards. I think like 80% yeah. of people continue listening to EM Rapid Bombs because of those short three to five minute long episodes that we drop 
um, you know, in a, you know, multiple times a week. So right. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. You get four minute episodes. We give you coaching. No one else does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're telling you what is going to be on the test and basically how to navigate some of the answer choices and questions, what to expect to be asked about. But we also have that aspect of telling you what you need to know for your job, which is obviously much more important than taking a board test. But we tell you both things in less than five minutes, every single episode, it's jam packed with knowledge. And so check it out for the price you are paying. You are getting an amazing opportunity to learn not only board knowledge, but this what we call drip knowledge, where you're learning a little bit every single day and you're allowed to multitask. You're allowed to do things, go for a run or a walk, or if you're commuting somewhere or traveling, et cetera, or laying on a beach. I've heard people that are sitting on the beach or go for a walk on the beach and listen to the podcast. And so fun things like that. And there's really no other board study material like that, that you can do things as well as listen and get that knowledge. The first and only of its kind. (laughs) That's that right. That's right. Hey, but... Get into that answer. What was the most common cause of death yeah. in patients with hemophilia in general? Most common cause can be choice C, intracranial bleeding. That is there a board test question if there ever was one. Right. So hemophilia is something you learn in medical school and likely glossed over it. It was that one thing in pathoma that was like, oh, yeah, hemophilia? Okay. But let's go back to G6PD. <laughs> Everything know, was right. everything was G6PD or the Krebs cycle. Oh, but it's, it's just obsessed with that. It's obsessed, obsessed with it. However, hemophilia is a big deal. It's probably the only bleeding disorder that's so incredibly life-threatening that you will often encounter compared to mm-hmm. any other thing you learn about in hematology. It's due to a deficiency in one or more of the proteins or factors involved in the coagulation pathway, leading to a high susceptibility of bleeding. There are several types, but there are only top two you need to remember because by far mm-hmm. those are the most common. Number one, hemophilia A, which is a deficiency in factor eight. That's like 85% of hemophilia Mm. cases. So that knocks out the vast majority right there. Done. And then just to know about it, hemophilia B, which is a deficiency in factor nine. This is what that one was called Christmas disease. I don't know why I remember that, but the Christmas stands out to me. Christmas disease. Those two are the only two you have to know. Several other subtypes, don't worry about that ever. It's not high yield at all and they're Mm. rare. So the disease severity is based on this factor level. You don't ever have to memorize the severity scale. Just appreciate that severe cases, if patients say I have severe hemophilia, that means that their factor availability floating around is less than 1%. Mm-hmm. So they don't even have that factor floating around uh, typically. Yeah. And the, the key thing here is that, you know, we think of these patients as, okay, yeah, if they fall and hit their head, that's scary and have to come and get a head CT. It's much, much, much more than that. It's, it's really a life-altering disease for some of these patients. Yeah. It's just like sick cell anemia, but this is not, unlike sick cell anemia, these patients can come in and even just minor trauma can kill them. Um, immediate yep. and delayed bleeding after trauma is very common. It can be massive. It can persist for days or weeks oozing from wounds. In contrast, you know, we have to say like paper cuts, of course, it's not a concern. But what we're concerned about here is the areas we can't see, the deep right. tissue in the head. The overall frequency of bleeding in these patients in the modern era has declined. These patients are well taken care of now, thankfully. But patients are unaware of these severe bleeding events when they happen sometimes. Now, the good news is patients actually take this disease pretty seriously. I know that's hard to believe. Yeah, from that question stem too. Yeah, from that question stem. Which was an actual question Well, also when we think about other diseases that we have to deal with in American society. But patients actually take this disease pretty seriously. Most patients will have a known diagnosis. Like you're never going to make this diagnosis yourself in the ED. Yeah. So the patient and family usually are extremely knowledgeable 
about this disease. They know about it. They follow up with it. You can imagine the average human being thinks, oh, a disease that could cause me to bleed to death? Sounds like I need to take that pretty seriously. This means two things, Dr. Hussain. Um, Mm. Why don't you go over the two big things that are going to be present in these patients? Sure. So again, uh, smaller bleeds, like like talk about kind of paper cuts, they can be managed at home, right? Meaning you're probably going to be seeing more of the more of the things that are mm-hmm. you know concerning. Um, they're coming in with some sort of uh, decent trauma, mm-hmm. um, but you need to take that trauma very seriously. Like that's why we gave that example in the question stem, where mm-hmm. everything looks great, but they did bang their head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and many patients, again, they're going to be bringing their own factor. Uh, it can be a pain, honestly, for your own health system or your own pharmacy to get factor right, you know, for that patient. Uh, so always ask them if they brought their own factor. And honestly, sometimes it's worthwhile to just wait for them to go home uh, to get their own factor as well. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is the most common side of bleeding in hemophiliacs? Ooh, because because we, we mentioned we mentioned what the most common cause of death was. What is the most right. common cause of bleeding? Hey, uh, let's get, you know, our social team here to make this into a quick, this is going to be one of those, what are they called? The shorts? Yeah. You know, we're just going to make a it a short. Or real. All right, I'm going to look in the yeah. camera. All right. Ask me that question again, Briggs. <laughs> what is the, the most common cause of bleeding? Most common side of bleeding in hemophiliac? <laughs> hemarthrosis. Nice job. Nice job. Again, hemarthrosis, that's going to make up 70% of the cases <laughs> of what? Dr. Briggs. Oh, hemophilia. Yeah, there you go. Um, intracranial <laughs> hemorrhage, that's the leading cause of death in these patients. Um, but again, they can have hematomas um, involving major, uh, you know, major areas as well in their airway or retroperitoneum as mm-hmm. well. Scary um, stuff. Yeah. You have to be asking the right questions here. You have to be good at asking these questions because we don't see these patients too often. Of course, the obvious question, what type of hemophilia do they have? <laughs> what is their baseline factor at? Most patients will know this. Now, if the patient is on a prophylaxis, you should ask which one too. Has the patient had any prior history of severe bleeding or spontaneous bleeding? You know, saying, has this happened before? Where did you bleed? You know, do they have an emergency plan from their hematologist? At our hospital, we're really fortunate. We have a hematology department that has an entire binder in our ED with patients listed that say, here's so-and-so. This is what factor they need when they come in. This is the mix they need from our uh, blood bank, which is excellent. It's really helpful. It streamlines our care. And of course, the last question is we've covered already. Did they bring their factor from home with them? If they did, use that. It's kind of yeah. like these patients that have the hereditary angioedema that come in, they need those infusions, and they usually bring it with them because mm-hmm. it's an orphan drug. It's kind of like that. They usually have it with them. Use their infusion if your hospital doesn't have it. Because sometimes many of our docs listening to this work at critical access hospitals. They don't have any factors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they're relying on these patients, hopefully, that have their factor with them. Just use that. All right. Hey, so talk about the exam, what you're looking for, what suspicions yeah, gonna, you need to have. We're going to blow through some of this stuff. Yeah, just uh, blow through it. Obvious, Hurry up. Right? We got things to do here. Yeah, we got things to do. We got social to catch to do, up on. Yeah. Right? So obviously these folks, if there's any type of trauma, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be looking everywhere for signs of bleeding. Um, even if they have the smallest amount of pain, um, mm-hmm. you're looking again for any bruising on their body, abdominal pain, back pain. Um, and especially, you know, reevaluating these patients as well to see, you know, especially prior to discharge, if you've you know, done some imaging, hey, is anything hurting now that wasn't hurting before? Mm-hmm. The retroperitoneal hematomas, that can always be kind of sneaky. Um, and again, with in hemophilia, you worry about that, right? So vague abdominal pain, um, back pain, mm-hmm. or growing pain. And when it comes to lab workup, you're going to be ordering a ton of labs, JK, JK. <laughs> 
JK, not a lot of labs here. Um, they're not going to be really helping you no. in the acute management, you know, of this patient. When do uh, labs so, really help? Let's be honest. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, hey, there are times, okay. Um, so if you do need to get labs um, and, you know, there's a chance this patient does have some severe things going on, get a CBC, mm -hmm. a COAG profile. You can get a factor activity level if that's going to help the hematology team you know, on the inpatient side. If the patient does not know their factor level, then again, you should just assume it's zero. You should assume it's severe. Um, yeah. Yeah, but again, usually they'll know. Um, so imaging when it comes to head or rest of the body breaks? Yeah, these are not the patients you're trying to save from CT yeah. imaging. It, it, it's generous and good to think of you as the emergency doctor who is triaging resource yeah. utilization, but you gotta have a low threshold for these. So patients. you're telling me the Ottawa rules, the Canadian CT head rules, and PCARN. Unfortunately, not, they do not apply. They do not. Just imagine those Canadian studies. You think they involved hemophilia? Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that would pass IRB muster. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You should not use any decision rules to guide your management here. You yep. should not be trying to reduce CT head utilization. And it, it, it's it's sad. You know, these people are yeah. young. You know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on trying to reduce head CTs right. for these patients, but that's not the place for this. These patients hey, are high risk for bleeding. But what, what, there's another type of board question that you mm -hmm. can ask with this. So again, yeah, this another is a big one question. for boards in life, right? Yeah. So when it comes to giving factor, are you waiting for imaging before you Absolutely give factor? Not. Never, there you go. never, never, never. Yep. Yeah. Head bleeds can be spontaneous yep. with no history of trauma. If you're concerned for a certain mechanism, even with a normal exam, give factor concentrate then get your imaging right the reason is is because inevitably there's always a delay in head ct there always is someone right. will bump the patient code stroke code trauma right. whatever something and you need to hurry up and give these patients factor immediately don't wait for the ct don't wait for the read don't ever do that give factor first this is such a classic board question and for real life this is the truth yeah, it's going to be like the next best step, right? So the yes, next best step absolutely. is getting head CT imaging. It's, For sure. it's going ahead and giving the patient factor, right? All right, let's uh, we're going to take that plane. We're going to land it here. Yeah, let's right. land the plane. <laughs> Flaps engaged. Flaps engaged. Flaps engaged. Flaps engaged. So uh, how are you down. controlling that bleeding? Yeah, so this is uh, for, you know, superficial bleeding, bleeding that you're seeing that's coming. Um, you're going to do, of course, your basic steps you always do. For superficial skin bleeding or epistaxis or some other mucosal bleeding, localized pressure, obviously, right? And then you're going to be also doing topical thrombin products. So like, you know, gauze, things like that. Um, quick clot of those items sometimes can help. For a deep laceration or continued bleeding, despite bedside maneuvers or suturing, you can use desmopressin, which has really good evidence in these patients, or sometimes TXA as well too, mm. which has less evidence. But those are options you can use as well. We're not going to get into the details of that right now. Now, let's talk about factor replacement. So quick note, we talk about factor replacement on our Rapid Bombs podcast. I did an episode on this um, around the 200s, I think, episode 200-something, yeah. 210 or something like that. I don't remember. Um, and yes, Iltifat and I have memorized many of the episode numbers. We wake up in a cold sweat each no. night. And look, you're not going to have to know <laughs> like kidding, exact units. Just kidding. You're not going to have to give exact know how many units exactly mm -hmm. you need to mm -hmm. give. So just real quick, in 10 seconds, mm -hmm. factor replacement breaks. Yeah, so each unit of factor 8 for hemophilia A, it'll raise the plasma factor level 8 by 2%. In other words, if you want to reach 100%, you have to give 50 units mm -hmm. per kilogram. And for hemophilia B, it's 1%. So if you want to reach 100% factor level in hemophilia B, you're giving 100 units per kilogram. So if you're concerned about bleeding like we talked about earlier, and you don't know what the patient's baseline factor is, 
you need to assume it's zero, which means you're yeah. giving the full dose every single time. Right. If you give too much factor, concentrate, it's not going to cause any problems. Like they're go. going to cause a stroke or anything like that. You're not causing um, a stroke. Yeah. So you're doing the best thing for the patient. So that's, that's what you're going to do here. Now, what about minor bleeds? Minor bleeds, you only need to raise the factor level to 50%. Yeah. For major ble bleeds, again, it's 100%. You know, what's a major bleed? It's pretty straightforward. It's very straightforward. Um, if they're never bleeding internally, so joint, uh, vaginal, mm -hmm. significant vaginal bleeding, brain, GI, um, any minor bleed, you know, might be considered skin or mucosal, and, and that's pretty much it, right? So on the test, it's always a major bleed. There pretty go. much like they're yeah, never going to tell you yeah. they're never going to make you force that decision of like yeah. oh is it minor or major assume it's major that's assume the point major. of the question that's right. what they're trying to trick you on right so hey let's wrap this up with some coaching like we do let's in our do rapid it. bombs yeah so basically the point of this question was to help you recognize and manage a patient with hemophilia in the emergency setting mm -hmm. key takeaways that we want to talk about especially board relevant and clinical practice are that hemophilia leads to heightened risk of bleeding Patients are usually well aware of their condition and its seriousness, but again, not always aware. So ask mm -hmm. the right questions. Often, you know, minor bleeds are managed at home and they're really presenting to you for more of the significant events like head mm -hmm. traumas. Um, so despite hemoarthrosis being the most common bleeding event, that's key. Hemoarthrosis is the most common bleeding event. Intracranial hemorrhage is the primary, uh, the one with the high morbidity primary cause of death here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that you need to be aware of. And that's why we asked that question stem the way we asked it. In uncertain scenarios, if the patient's factor level is unknown, assume it's zero. Uh, factor replacement, it should always precede imaging when there's a risk of internal bleeding. Okay, mm -hmm. the next best step is just going ahead and doing that imaging. Um, and remember, these patients are going to be fitting your standard clinical decision tools like Canadian C-spine, uh, CT head, things like that. For and sure. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> Check out EM Rapid Bombs again at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. I think I enunciated enough for that. Mm. And uh, I've been told at work I, I speak too fast. I'm a fast talker. That's, yeah, that's a problem. Are. Yeah, and that's you told a, me to problem. speak faster sometimes, and I've told you I'm from North Carolina, so I don't do that. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on EM Board Bombs. Thanks again. Drop an Apple review. <laughs> Check us out on Spotify, other hosts. And uh, thanks again. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be back, Blake. Good to be Let's back. Let's do this. Good to see you. See you.